0: All right, so you guys got your Bibles open to Isaiah 55. If you are using the black Bible in your row and you're new to God's Word, it's on page 615. So you can open for your Bible to page 615. This morning we're going to continue our study. Um, We're actually going to pick up and continue past our scripture memory and do more studying this morning so that we can learn better how to apply our scripture memory part. Anybody want to quote, do our scripture memory this morning? All right, Renee's going to come and she's going to read. Actually, Renee's going to quote the whole chapter. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Renee. So she's going to read all of chapter 55, Isaiah.
1: All right, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clasp their hands, shall clap their hands. instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Praise be to God. Thank you, thank you. All right, so last week we jumped into our scripture memory and we tried to dig into it a little more and and, and get some application for our lives this past week, which I have heard through the grapevine from different groups of different people how well that has gone, that there was a lot of good conversations that went on. As you considered how maybe you were eating wax fruit, how maybe you were turning to things thinking, oh, this will bring me joy and satisfaction, and then finding out, well, actually it's not, and then talking about how we can then turn to God in its place. So this morning, what I want to do is build on that. the, the first three verses of this invitation, right? We said it's, a, it's an urgent invitation. It is a spectacular invitation. But it's an invitation of God saying, you don't need to have anything impressive, and you can come to me, and I'll give you what you really want. And we saw there was some warning in there. Stop seeking after stuff, spending your ta- time your labor, your money, your resources, thinking you're going to find life and things that will never give you life. And so the rest of Isaiah 55 teases this out and explains to us what to expect when we arrive in God's presence. So you get there, you respond, you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to God, I'm going to go to him. What's going to happen when you get there? And so the rest of the psalm tells us what's going to happen, what, what we should expect kind of to happen in us and from us, and what's going to happen from God. So I don't really have points that are going to go on the screen this morning. I'm going to say a couple little two-word, three-word things if you want to jot them down to help you know what does God expect or what should you expect? What does God expect from you and what should you expect when you respond to his invitation? And then what should we expect him to do? How is he going to react to that? So you ready? All right, here we roll. The first thing is this, and you probably already saw it coming, and that is don't delay. You've received an invitation and we talked about this both Sundays. We've looked at this past already. Don't delay. So in verses 1, we see the very first word. That, remember I said there's four times it says so we are to come to him. The first one is actually a different Hebrew word. It's the word, hey, hey. He's getting our attention. Hey. And then the rest of the th- three times it says, come to me. Those are actually the same words. So there's this invitation from God that's urgent. Come to me. He wants to get our attention. So he repeats it three times. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Then if you look down at verse 5. We're not going to get into the details of all this. We're going to hopefully look at it next week because we have all these yous. If you see them in verse 5, you shall call a nation a you. But what I want to draw your attention to is this, that there is a nation that doesn't know God at the middle of verse 5 that is going to run to God. So there's this urgency. They're not strolling to God. These people aren't, aren't casually meandering towards God. What does it say? They're running to God. So they respond to the invitation. It's an urgent response. They run to him. And then in verse 6, this is new for this morning. We haven't looked at this yet. We are to seek the Lord while he may be found. And we are to call upon his name while he is near. So there's a seeking and there's a calling. There's an urgency. There's a, hey, don't delay. Come to God. And then he gives us this little warning in verse 6. And she caught it. He wants to compel us to not delay. So he tells us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So he, he throws out these two sentences that in my mind clash with other scriptures. Like even a few weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews 13, right? Where it talks about that he will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And so part of my theology wants to just brush over this and say that the verses in Hebrews kind of cancel this out. But I don't think that'd be helpful. I think there's still something here for us, even though we know the reality that Jesus said he'd never leave us or forsake us. And I think he puts this here, these two little phrases. Seek him while he may be found and while he is near because he wants to let us know there could be a time or there will be a time when he will be distant where you won't be able to find him. And I think he puts this phrase in there to serve two purposes for two types of people. The first is for the person who has never come to Christ. If you have never, ever come to Christ In faith, and said, Jesus, I need your sacrifice. I need your forgiveness. I lay down my life. You are my king. I am no longer on my own throne. If you haven't done that yet, you need to know there's a day where the ark door will close and the waters of judgment will rise and there will be no more time. So don't delay. And I think the second person or groups of people that this is here for is for us who love Christ and trust Jesus so that we will not presume on his presence. I think that's why it's there. He doesn't want us to presume on his presence. This is like, he he doesn't want us to think, well, I can always, I'll call on him later. I can always pursue him tomorrow. He'll be there next week. And so there's this urgency. Don't take that for granted. Pursue him now. Find him now. He's trying to awaken us to see if there's any passive seeking in our hearts or casual seeking or secondary seeking going on. So he awakens us. Look, it may not always be this way, so you need to pursue him and to pursue him now. God wants us, honestly, to love his presence so much and to want it so much that we call to him and we seek him as urgently as if he might not be around tomorrow. Right? I mean, if I knew he wasn't going to be around tomorrow, sorry, no more relationship. It's cut off. I would get as much out of it as I could today. So thank goodness we don't have to think that way. But we need to think that way. What if? And it's not going to happen for us as believers. But run after him as if tomorrow may not happen. And so don't delay because, I love this, he is here right now. He's here. Whether we sense him or not, he's here. He's in the room. He's in your life. Whether we perceive it or not, he is near. And he's near to you. So take advantage of this. And when you do, I know Scripture has a lot to say about what to expect When God is near, I don't know, what do you expect? If I say that, you you have some kind of thing you picture in your head. God is going to be near to you, and you imagine certain things, what that looks like for you in your life. Well, in Scripture, there's a wide variety of things that happen when God draws near. When God is near, they hear God speak. Buildings shake. Bushes burn, but never burn up. Waters divide. People are protected, healed, rescued, forgiven. People are Disciplined. Sometimes as God is near, people are dancing and singing, and other times people are on their faces in worship and surrender. God's nearness can bring conviction of sin, speaking in tongues, prophecy, joy, peace, shouting, and complete silence and calmness. God can speak loud. God can whisper. You may experience his nearness through song or scripture or going out in creation through God's Spirit as he comforts you. When unexplainable events happen in your life, you'll say God is near to you. Or it could be through the encouragement of a friend. The point is, God is near. Do you see his nearness? Are you pursuing his nearness? Are you moving towards his nearness? Do you want his nearness? So what happens here in Isaiah 55 is God holds out this invitation for you to come to him, to seek him, to call on him with an expectation to experience him being near. Do you come with that expectation? We prayed as a a group of people this morning and Josh prayed something like, "We we, we want to expect you to do something. We want to expect you to work in our hearts this morning. We should come on Sundays to gather or to community group or to your groups of three sitting on the edge of the air going, I'm expecting God to be near. I'm expecting to hear from him. I'm expecting him to do something to reveal himself to me. So don't delay. That's the first thing. Do not delay. And the second thing, we touched on it last week. When you come into God's presence, here is what he expects from us listen he expects us to listen we saw this in verse 1 and 2 i'm sorry verses 2 and 3 what does it say listen diligently to me incline your ear and hear me here's my problem maybe you don't share it when i go to god i talk a lot i do and even if I'm asking him about something, often I tell him what I think about it without even listening to him to tell me what he thinks about it. So I have an explanation. I don't listen well. And so he tells you three times, shut up. <laughs> Just listen. I've got stuff I want to say. I mean, and Jesus says it in Mark and in other places. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But we can't hear if our mouths are moving all the time. So I think he wants us to come to his presence without delay and then we get there, learn what it means to listen, to hear from God, for God to speak to you. And although we not, may not always know what to expect, what going, what's he going to say, how is he going to say it, through what means is he going to speak to me, we should always be on the lookout for one thing, according to these verses. This is the third thing we should expect expect to repent. Expect to repent. Expect there to be something in your heart that tells you something needs to change in me. Expect it. So let's see where, where I see this. This is in verse 7. All back up to 6. Let's read it together. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake. I don't know if you underline or circle things in your Bible. That'd be another word I'd... Forsake. Underline. Forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his way thoughts, let him, next word I'd circle, return to the Lord. So there's, ref- there's forsaking and there's returning. There's forsaking and there's returning. Do you see that there? It's, it's simple, plain as day in the text. Uh, seeking and calling to God will always lead to forsaking and returning. That's what happens. Something will change in our hearts. It's a two-step process, repentance is. We forsake something. We leave it. We abandon it. We say, this is not for me. This is not what God wants. And then we return or turn to God. And the fact that the word there is return to the Lord, I assume this is for believers. Because it means you've already been in his presence. And then you're walking along in life and you see something. You go, okay, this is not what God would want. And so then you return to him. And we, we know this, right? The whole... It's a 180 degree, right? We're headed one way and then God grabs a hold of our attention. He reveals something to us and we, we stop that and we turn, not just to nothing, but we turn to him. We return to him. So repentance is doing a 180 back to God, forsaking something, returning to him, forsaking, returning, forsaking, and returning. This really is, I don't know, some of you will hear the word repentance and they freak out like, oh no, like what does that mean? It really should be a, a regular experience for a disciple of Jesus. We should be living in the joy of repenting, really on a regular basis. We seek him, we call on his name, we listen diligently. He shares stuff with us, we change, we turn, we forsake. And he tells us here, verse I just read, two things. I want you to look, you're gonna tell me, I'm not gonna tell you the answer. Two things we are to forsake. What are they? Our ways and our thoughts. Wicked ways unrighteous thoughts. Wicked ways, unrighteous thoughts. So there are thoughts that you and I have, things we believe that we need to forsake. That's what he's saying. There are ways we are living our lives that we need to turn from, that we need to forsake or repent of. So we're, we're Thinking a certain way and we're moving in a direction, or we're living a certain way and we're doing certain things, so it's thinking in our ways, and we realize this is not how God wants me to think or believe, or this is not how God wants me to live in the way that I'm going. And so we turn from it and we go to God. And we say, God, I want to I want to think the way you think about this. I don't want my ways to be the way that you do things. Does that make sense? So my thoughts and my ways, my, my believing, my heart, and then my actions. I'm repenting from them. I'm turning from them. I'm forsaking them. And then I'm going and I'm moving towards God. That's the picture he's painting in this passage. And you need to know that God is extremely confident. And he very confidently tells us why we have ways and thoughts to forsake. We already saw that it's because they're wicked and unrighteous. But then he tells us in verse 8 why. So let's before I even read it, what God is saying right now is that everybody in this room has thoughts or ways to forsake. And here's why. Verse 8. For my thoughts. Connect the dot here. Thoughts, if your thoughts need to be repented of, then he's telling you why. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, this is a great refrigerator verse, isn't it? I mean, this is the verse that we say to people when things in life don't go like you think they should go, and it's kind of confusing. You say to somebody, well, God's ways aren't your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts, which is true, but that is not what this verse is saying. That's not what this verse is teaching at all. This, what these verses really are meant to tell us is this. You carry around with you every day ways and thoughts, that are not God's ways and thoughts. They don't line up with God's ways and thoughts. So we live in certain ways that are not in keeping with God's ways, and we think certain ways that are not in keeping with God's thoughts, they're not reality. God wants us to know that. He wants us to see that those thoughts and ways are not slightly different. Did you catch that? He doesn't say in verse 8, My thoughts are almost your thoughts. Our thoughts are close, we're, we're almost there, just keep going. He says very clearly, no, they're not your thoughts. And my ways and your ways are not my ways. We are actually infinitely different in our ways and in our thoughts. And then to punch the point home, he gives us an illustration. He gives us a little analogy. And what does he do with it? Look at verse 9. Here's a picture. I love when God gives me pictures because it helps me to remember something and to, to realize something. Here's how different your thoughts are from God. Here are how different How spread apart your ways are from God. Verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. How high is that? So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So how much higher? So let's just say, hypothetically, that God considers the heavens starting at the sun. When you get to the sun, that's where God decides heaven starts. Just pretend. Can't prove this anywhere, but let's just pretend. That would mean that what God is saying is that your thoughts are 92,958,412 miles away from my thoughts. God would be saying to us, your ways and my ways. Here's how different they are. Your ways are 92,958,412 miles from my ways. That's how different your thoughts are than mine. That's how different your ways are than mine. There, there's that big of a chasm between things. So when you're doing something on earth, the way you're doing it is 92 million miles different than how I would do it. You know, we say that little saying, right? Like we had a conversation. We weren't even on the same planet in the conversation. We got saying, well, guess what? We're not even the same planet. We're 92 million miles apart. So when you think about stuff, you, I'm 92 million miles away. And the way we do things is 92 million miles away from how God would tell us to do those things. So parents, I'm just going to do this. There aren't a ton of kids in here, but talking points are helpful. So you guys over here, make sure everybody gets these things are fire hot, red, burn your mouth, something or another. You guys take them and just pass them around. It's a teaching point, parents. Remember, we use something physical to make a spiritual point. So you can remind your kid later today. There's nothing to take two. Suck on one now. Save one for later or Whatever. To remind yourself that it's on fire like the sun. God's ways are that far from our ways. That's the gap. That's the distance between how God thinks and how we think. Now I want to ask you, how does it land on you for God to say that your way of thinking is 92 million miles away from his thinking? How does it land on you? How do you feel when God says there is a ninety-two million mile gap between your ways and His ways? Oh, I, I say no. I mean, ninety-two million? Come on, maybe a mile or so, but ninety-two million—that's a pretty big gap. When I hear that, when I was reading this this week, I thought it's almost—I almost thought of myself as a little kid about to stick a fork in the receptacle. And my parents saying, "You don't want to do that." I, I know better than you. And being the kid going, "I don't care," and jamming it in there. Like it's big, the gap's bigger than that. It's bigger than a kid and a parent. It's it's ninety two million mile difference between how I think and how I feel and how I live compared to how God thinks and feels and lives. There's an infinite difference between us. So what does He do? He invites us to come to Him. He invites us to run to Him. He invites us to call upon his name. So, listen, so he can tell you where your thoughts aren't his thoughts. He wants you to draw near to him so you can fig- he can tell you where your ways are not his ways. That's the plan. So link this to last week just for a minute. There's all these ways that we try to find joy and hope and satisfaction that God says, we'll never give you what you want. Never. And so he wants to meet with us so he can go, psst, listen for a minute. What you were doing back there is never going to make you happy. Here's your thinking about that. Let me share with you my thinking about that. So we can correct your thinking. Or the way we're living in a certain way. So we listen and he explains to us, okay, there's a big gap between the way you're thinking and the way I'm thinking. The way you're living and the way I'm living. So let's talk about it. Let me share with you the way you should think about it. And he, and he wants to close that distance and close that gap with us. So, so how does God respond? I, just wanna, I don't want to overlook this because it came right before what I just read about this distance. There's this great distance. So when we do respond to him, how does he greet us in this? I mean, how do you as parents respond when you tell your kid, don't stick the cookies in the VCR? Okay, I just dated myself. It's Okay. <laughs> But that's, what, that's what my mind just came, defining all kinds of things. Or don't stick the fork in the... Like, like, how do you respond when your kid does what you tell them not to do, and they do it anyway? Well, guess what? God's ways are not your ways, and his thoughts aren't your thoughts. Here's how he responds in verse 7, the second part of it. Let him, that's me, return to the Lord that he may have... What's it say? Your verse says mercy or compassion and abundantly pardon he wants to have compassion on us and abundantly pardon us we are 92 million miles apart in our wickedness and unrighteousness he asks us to come to him we come to him and instead of us giving giving us a royal spanking like we deserve it says he has compassion and he abundantly pardons He doesn't say, what took you so long to come back to me? He doesn't say, why have you been eating bread that's not bread? (laughs) It says he has compassion. I love that word. He's compassionate. He's gentle. He's kind. There is a deep, the word actually is deep, loving mercy that he shows towards us. There's no fear in returning to him. No matter what, dumb things you've done or are doing, you're going to be met with deep, loving mercy. Every time. We don't act that way because our ways aren't His ways. And we're grateful, aren't we, that His ways aren't our ways. Every time you return to Him, you will be met with compassion. And you'll be met not just with pardon, but abundant pardon. It's abundant. It's generous. It's not restrictive. He loves to bring forgiveness. And for us as Christians, this is so much better because we know the Father loves to apply the work of his Son to our lives. He loves to. He's eager to, when we come to him, to take us and wash us in the blood of Christ with abundant pardon, and he meets us with compassion. So you don't have to worry. Like, no, I don't know if I should go or not. This invitation, I am aware that I think different than him and I'm living different than him. Guess what? He knows that and he invites you to come to him anyway so he can extend abundant pardon and compassion towards you. Now, if you're tracking the train of thought here, there's a serious problem we have. The problem is this. How are we going to access God's thoughts and God's ways? 92 million miles is a long way. And if my thoughts aren't his thoughts and my ways aren't his ways, how am I going to get access? How am I going to find out what he thinks and how am I going to find out what he feels? And his ways. So he tells us in verses 10 and 11. Surprise. How? How is this going to happen? So look at verse 10. He's going to start with an an analogy. He's going to start with a picture, and then he's going to tell us what the picture means. So he starts with an imagery, and he tells us what it represents in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from... heaven, Why is it important that it's coming down from heaven? That's how far away his thoughts are. I love this. I I absolutely love this. This week, I spent time just thinking about, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Wait, that's where God's thoughts are. So he's starting to paint a picture for me. Something's coming down from heaven. He calls it rain and snow for now. And do not return there, but water the... The where? Oh, so it makes it all the way from where? To where? Ah, but wait, our thoughts are as far away as... How you see what God's doing? It's starting to be oversimplified here, but I don't want you to miss it. The, the poetry here, the, the symbolism is beautiful. Making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So there's a little picture in our head. The rain comes down, the snow comes down, the, the farmer goes out, he watches things sprout up. He's able to make bread with it, and he's also able to keep enough seed for next year for sowing. And then he said, here's what this means. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall proceed in, shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, so let's connect some dots here. Have your, have your academic hat on for a moment here. From heaven to earth, rain and snow come down. What is that symbolizing? He tells us what? His words, his speaking, his talking to us, his communicating with us. So there's this 90 million, 2 million, mile gap between his thoughts and ours, heaven to earth. And he says, okay, I'm going to bridge the gap by sending my word from heaven to earth, just like I send water from heaven to earth and snow from heaven to earth so that I can make stuff happen so that things will be accomplished. You see what's accomplished on the earth? I love what he puts down. He brings down two things to the earth. And I don't mean the snow and the water, but the snow and the water turn into what? They do not return, but what do they do to the earth in verse 10? They water the earth. And then the farmer takes it, plants seed, and he bakes bread. So what, what, what produces, what's produced when God's word comes to earth? Water and bread. Does that sound familiar to us? Where is that familiar? Awesome. Verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3. God is giving us what we want. He's given us water. He's giving us bread, the very thing that we want. And he does it by giving us his word, by his word coming down to us from heaven to earth. It's like, don't don't keep eating bread that's not bread. I've got bread for you. Come to me. Let me help you, have mercy on you and pardon you, and then give you the bread and the water that your soul really is craving Basically, what God is saying is, I'm sending my thoughts and my ways to earth through my word. And I'm certain he means his word. And we know that his spirit has to meet that, New Testament believers. But he's saying, look, I'm, I'm sending. I'm, I'm, I'm bridging the 92 million miles by sending you my word from heaven all the way down to earth. And I love, I love the fact that God makes sure that we know. How important it is that it's his word. Look at verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Notice who's doing the talking and who's doing the listening. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what that which I purpose and shall proceed, pro- succeed in the things for which I sent it. Do you see who's active God is doing it all. He, he's sending down to earth for us what we need. There, there's so many more dots here to connect. We don't have time, and I don't want to get into all of them, but spend time looking at all the connections between what God is doing here compared to what he offers us in verses 1 to 3. This is so relevant to our scripture memory. So I want to tie it all together now. I am want to wrap it up for us. We're going to look at probably the last part of this poem next week, but I want, to, I want to tie it together. So here's the picture that's being, plant, being painted in these verses. God looks down from heaven, and he sees us eating wax fruit. He sees us turning to things that will never satisfy, thinking they will satisfy us. He watches us doing it. He watches the time leading our kids to do it with us. And he looks down, and he goes, okay, they're doing this because their thoughts are, are not my thoughts, and their ways are not my ways. They're they're missing how to get satisfaction and joy. So what am I going to do? I'm going to call them to myself. Come to me. Come to me. Seek me. I'm right here. I'm waiting for you. And then we come to him. He wants to speak to us through his word to show us where our ways aren't his ways and where our thoughts aren't his thoughts so that he can forgive you and pardon you and then give you the bread and the water that your soul craves. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. That's, that's what he's doing. And so I think this is what God would call us to do. We did this last Sunday, but I think the rest of this takes it to another level, if you will. I think, I think God would want us to take last week and go one step further. I think God wants us to say, so God, about my money. And I think we should go to God and say, God, I'm assuming that there is something about how I think about money And the way that I use money, that is not the way that you think about money and is not the way you use money. Because your thoughts are 92 million miles away from mine. So therefore, I'm going to be quiet and have you tell me ways I'm thinking about money that's not how I should think about money. I want you to tell me ways I'm using money that you don't think I should be using money. And then let him speak to us. Now he can speak to you through his word by looking up scriptures on money and how God tells us to use it. You can go to friends and ask them, tell me how you process and how you think you see me processing money. Go to your family, group of 3. But I think it would be good for us to do that. It could be, I'm not going so I don't want to pick on the paleo diet, but it could be diets. Maybe you need to go God, I know I think about diets. And I know that I have my way of eating. I I raise that up to you. I'm assuming that my way of thinking about food, my way of living with food, is probably not completely in line with how you think about it or how you live with it. Because our thoughts and ways are 92 million miles apart. So I'm going to be quiet now, and I want you to tell me how I should be thinking about food. How should I be processing it? Maybe Maybe it's sports, Maybe it's I don't know sports for you or sports for your family and not picking on the Steelers or anything, but maybe it's sports. (laughs) And maybe we need to hold up sports. Say, God, I'm assuming that your way of thinking about sports and your way of wanting me to do sports isn't lining up. I'm assuming it because it's 92 million miles apart. So I'm holding this out to you, saying, God, you correct it, change it, show me, speak to me, so I can repent and come to you and find what I'm really looking for that I'm never going to find in this. It could be entertainment or whatever, all the millions of other things we can get on our iPad. It could be school for kids. You might be, not be thinking the way God wants you to think about school, and he wants you to go to him. He says, come to me, humble, and say, God, I'm not sure that I'm thinking about school the way I should be, or about entertainment, or about social media, or whatever it is. Our thoughts, my thoughts aren't yours. My ways aren't your ways, so show me what your way is. And let him speak to us. It could be clothing. I bring out the flannel one more time. But it could be clothing. It could be how you think about how you look, your appearance. It could be about uh, exercise, whatever, clothing, shopping. God, I have thoughts about this. I have ways of living. And according to your word, they're 92 million miles apart. So show me your ways. Show me how you think about it. It could be I got my retirement fund in here. It could be how you use alcohol. The list of go on vacations. You name it. We talked about it last week. But I think what God is saying in this passage is there are ways, absolutely, 100% guaranteed, there are ways you are living right now that don't line up with God's ways. And there are ways you are thinking that are not lining up with God's way of thinking. In fact, I I told Elspeth this morning, this is kind of exciting for me because there's areas that I kind of think, I think I'm thinking like God thinks. And he's like, no, you don't. Which is exciting because that means no matter what the area, there's an opportunity for me to go to God and say, God, help me think right about this. Help me to, w- to live my way the way that you would want me to live it, whatever it is. So the, it's endless application, which is why I said earlier, the Christian life is a life of repenting. It's a life of going to God and saying, God, here's another category. Tell me what you think about it because I know I'm not thinking right. And I think there's times where maybe instead of being 92 million miles apart, it's only 90 million or maybe 80 on a good day. (laughs) But God knows that, and he so much does not want to see you eating rubber fruit, wax fruit, thinking somehow it's going to satisfy. He doesn't want us pursuing all these things and everything else that the world offers us, thinking, if I just had more, if I could just do more, if I could just buy more, if I just look better, if we were just more successful, if we had this or we had that, and we keep going and going to the point of insanity. God's like, could you please just come to me? Just come to me. Let, me. let me just share with you my thinking about it. Be quiet long enough to listen. So I just ask you what, I, you know, I'm, I'm even guessing in this room right now, there's things floating through your head, like this is the one thing I know I probably need to go, God, I, I want you to help me. Because maybe you're just more aware of where you're not thinking like you should be. Maybe you are. I started with thinking about the areas I was aware of, and then I started to add to the list. Because <laughs> there's always areas. Always. But that's what it means to walk with Christ and to come to him and to learn what it means to be a people who repent and call upon his name. I want to end by reading. I don't usually read much to you guys. This is a commentary from, on Isaiah, and I just want to read this one section to you. When I read it this past week, I'm like, he says it better than I do, and I feel convicted, and that's good. And so I want to read this to you and hope this helps you. It's, it's not super long, but it's simple enough. I think you'll be able to track with where he's going with this. So let me just close this morning by reading this to you. To seek the Lord is to stop dawdling and to become intentional about Him, setting highest value on Him, removing everything that keeps us from Him, hearing His word without talk back, opening up to His will with no preconditions. Possibilities are endless. Seeking the Lord is a whole life realignment with Christ. We stop treating him as a religious garnish on the side. He becomes our continual feast, our defining center, and the time to move in his direction is now. He is near to us, not far off, not aloof or unavailable. He invites us to call upon him to come still nearer. Our part is to reject ourselves. Let us forsake our wicked ways and the unrighteous thoughts that we have. How could it be otherwise? Our ways and thoughts trivialize God and exalt ourselves, our status quo, our adequacy, our okayness. But the truth is we're wrong. And what's wrong with us is everything we are, right down to our thoughts, and I would add, in ways. We are so tolerant of our sins, especially if we maintain a superficial technical righteousness. But we've lost the radical edge of real Christianity in our generation. I hope we are not beyond recovery. We may be. We've forgotten that Christianity is so contrary to our ingrained likes and dislikes. That is such a crazy statement. We've forgotten that Christianity is so contrary to our ingrained likes and dislikes that it requires nothing less than a transformation of the magnitude of religious conversion. you need to be converted all over again. We American Christians can't just tweak our American ways and American thoughts. We can't just make a decision for Christ and leave it at that. We can't join a certain church because it won't challenge our selfish lifestyle and think that's Christianity. Being nice, harmless, church-going people with no repentance, no submission, no forsaking of self, no pursuit of Christ— but all that covered over with a glaze of sentimental religion on Sunday mornings. This is not all what God has in mind. Could the average church today fit in the book of Acts? The psychology of too many churches, both liberal and conservative, is so filled with certainty about ourselves that there's no room for openness to God. We have drifted from the gospel and we don't know how to get it back. If we want to feast at the eternal banquet, God is showing us the way. Could he state it any more plainly than in Isaiah 55? Our only path forward is as obvious as it is radical. God is calling us to a complete overhaul. God is calling us to place ourselves under the scrutiny, welcoming ways And thoughts completely unfamiliar to us, but clearly stated in His Word. God is calling us to reform our lives and our churches with unprecedented newness because we are not yet living proof of the power of His all claiming grace. Humility, humbly accepting His call and courageously following through is nothing less than repentance. Let us return to the Lord. He's worth it. If we submit to the power of repentance, God will not meet our trust with abusive scoldings. He will show us His compassion and generous pardon. And I've read that I got to rocked to the core. Rocked to the core this week. So, I'm going to ask us this week to take last Sunday's sermon and take it to the next level. Let's let's get crazy a little bit. Let's literally ask God. Give Him the thing that you give most of your time to. Go to Him with that and say, okay, I give crazy amounts of time to this, or I give my family and all of us our crazy amount of time to this, God. I'm assuming I don't think the way you think. I'm not doing it the way you want me to do it. Help me to shut up and listen. And then Whatever the categories are that he brings to your heart, just bring them to him and listen. And go to his word that span the gap from heaven to earth so you can have his perspective. How cool is it that we can have his perspective? So our ways can get more in line with his ways and our thinking get more in line with his thinking so we can live our lives more for him. I want to give us a minute or two of just you can talk to your neighbor, you can sit alone, just answer the two questions. I don't know what God is telling you to do. I don't know what you think you should do about it. I think this passage of Scripture makes a little more boxed-in answer, maybe. Just a little bit. I don't know. But just take a minute. Before we run out of here and rush to the next thing, just take a minute and just think. Maybe you just need to think about, what is the one thing, God, that you want me to bring to you? What are the two things that you want me to... Maybe you just need to confess, God, I never really thought that our ways were that far apart. Maybe you just need to hear you say that. Like, I didn't think that. I thought we were closer together than we are. But according to you, we're not, so help me. Believe that. Just believe that this morning. Believe the gap is there. I feel like that was freeing for me this week. The gap's there. That means there's all these more opportunities for me to get really good fruit. And enjoy water and bread like I'm supposed to. But just take a minute or two, and then uh, we'll sing a song afterwards, okay? All
1: right.